0: this is section one hundred and twenty of mark twain the complete interviews this librivox recording is in the public domain interview one hundred and twenty mark twain on tour arrival in cape town cape times cape town south africa july seventh eighteen ninety six page seven read by john greenman the gentleman known to the english-speaking world under the nom de plume of mark twain the quaint reminiscence of old pilot days on the mississippi is at present a visitor to cape town and will on thursday night make his appearance on the platform of the opera house in the capacity of a lecturer his visit to south africa has fallen in the midst of exciting times and it would have been difficult for any one interested in the development of a new country as any american naturally would be and particularly such a keen observer of men and manners as mr clemens to have chosen a more suitable period for a peregrination through austral africa than the present year of grace though his tour through the country has been a brief one of two months duration only mr clemens has had the opportunity of witnessing the sequel to a peculiar phase of the country's history and his stay in the transvaal where some of his old friends and compatriots were in durant's vial was invested with a peculiar interest with the object of ascertaining some of his impressions of the country he is soon to leave and his views on the remarkable political situation recently developed a representative of this journal called on the famous author yesterday and had the inevitable interview which in his own country is an indispensable adjunct real or artificial to the arrival of strangers of distinction the trouble with the outsider in the transvaal he remarked in reply to a question suggests the simile of a person walking around a monument which changes its aspect with every step he takes it changes its form and its expression and by the time he gets around to the point he started from he is likely to say that he had a wrong focus and at the same time he must admit that his time being short and his eyes not as good as the eyes of men on the spot and familiar with the matter he has probably still got a wrong focus when i first arrived in the country it was in absolute ignorance of what had been going on, and the whole affair of the Jameson Raid was a big surprise. Since then I have moved through a tossing sea of varying opinions and information, and for a while I supposed that, if the Jameson Raid had for its purpose the overthrow of the Transvaal Republic, it was inexcusable. By this time I have considered the peculiar grievance of the Wheatlanders, which make that position uncertain and pretty nearly untenable. Of course an outsider looks at a matter of this sort from a judicial and to some extent privileged standpoint. Now I ask you, does it not look like a fair and square opportunity for a revolution? unquestionably and does it may i ask suggest any analogous case in the history of your own country it is very like our old quarrel of the american revolution one hundred years ago which is a sort of parallel case i should say the three millions of americans who existed in that day and who were really englishmen and regarded themselves as such were really Outlanders. to put it in a single phrase it was the old story taxation without representation that is just the exact trouble at johannesburg in america they were hampered in all sorts of ways the country such as it was was run solely in the interests of the mother country and finally there was a jameson raid at concord and lexington in massachusetts on april nineteenth seventeen seventy five we had a little fight and the utlanders won they were more fortunate than jameson the object of that raid however was not the overthrow of the english government but it was the beginning of that sort of a revolution where the persons beginning it cannot foresee the lengths to which it is going to reach. It was a year or more after that, before anybody dreamed of throwing over the British rule. They wanted their rights under the British government. That was all that Lexington and Concord were fought for, and if the English government had acted wisely, it would have gone no further if they had allowed those american prisoners certain perfectly fair privileges which they asked for the united states of america would be a province of the british crown today. It is one of those vast political mistakes which governments can make and which the transvaal government can easily make that government can drive the Uitlanders into revolution if they go on and just follow the english example in the matter of the revolution in america that has been the case with every revolution in this world the thing could have been stopped if it had been taken in hand at once there was no necessity for the french revolution which would never have happened if the crown had made concessions. Kimberley and Johannesburg, continued Mark Twain in reply to the usual question, are the striking features of South Africa. I have seen plenty of gold-mining towns, but Johannesburg does not look like any I have seen, because it is so substantially built. Kimberley is, of course, different. In the old california days when the gold washer washed out two or three ounces of gold it had a distinct value it is not so with diamonds and they would have ruined the diamond business if everybody had been in it i went over the Kimberley mines and very interesting it was i found a diamond about as big as the end of my finger but there were so many people watching me that I did not bring it away. Where was that? Where they sort, where the final skirmish is. Kimberly is a very interesting show, and it has a personal interest for me, because I sent a man out there twenty-six years ago to gather up diamonds for himself and for me. What I really meant him to to do was to make notes, and come back and give them to me for a book. He came back with voluminous notes, but died almost at once. I wish I had those notes now. They would be interesting. Yes, I suppose things are permanently quiet now," observed Mark Twain, replying to a question on the recent Anglo-American war scene it looked ugly for a while but i never believed that the two countries which stand peculiarly for common sense in these modern times they think they do anyway would allow so foolish a thing as a war to spring up but at such times you hear all the noisy people they are always in the front but they are not at all the people who are going to transact the business with regard to south africa everybody has dropped in here during the last ten years and grabbed a slice of land and it would seem to promise dispute and war some time or other the colony has got the permanently best part of south africa i suppose Matabeleland may be a valuable part of Africa, too. Then there is the Transvaal. That is a valuable country, what there is of it. I wish I could look into the future and see what was going to happen, but I suppose it does not need any prophetic instinct. There is the prophecy of facts, and the facts point to a continually increase. Of the jutlander population until it will have so augmented that by its own weight it will carry its desires without any war how do your south african audiences seem to you very delightful audiences in fact you get an exceedingly bright crowd here the bulk of the audiences are people who have been all round they have traveled, in fact. I have seldom met anybody who has been able to say that he has not been out of Africa. I played billiards with a man in Kimberley whom I met only once before, and that was over a billiard-table twenty-five years ago in America. The guard of a train reminded me that he crewed in the steamer with me twenty-five years ago. CAPTAIN MEAN, ONE OF THE POLITICAL PRISONERS, I KNEW VERY WELL THIRTY-TWO YEARS AGO, AND JOHN HAY HAMMOND, I HAVE KNOWN FOR MANY YEARS. IT'S INTERESTING TO NOTE THAT THE TRIP WHICH MARK Twain IS JUST CONCLUDING WILL FURNISH THE MATERIAL FOR A BOOK, THE APPEARANCE OF WHICH WILL BE LOOKED FORWARD TO BY SOUTH AFRICANS WITH UNUSUAL INTEREST. Mark Twain returns to England with his wife and daughter by the Norman on Wednesday week. End of interview number 120, read by John Greenman.